Welcome back to Real Women, Real Stories, Episode 3. Today we're going to have a, a very exciting guest. Her name is Cassie on the show. We're going to talk about it all. Um, but first, I kind of wanted to reflect on our fellow um, love of travel. So I actually have a very interesting story of what started my love for travel. In the beginning, me and my dad, we would look at Atlas books. So we had like this one book and I would sit there on them, there's like maps of all these different countries. And I would just study the maps with my dad. Um, and then from there, I actually watched a lot of travel shows on TV. So like my family, the way that we traveled was we did a lot of road trips. And looking back, I'm actually really grateful for that as a family, because we got a lot of time in the car together, maybe a little bit too much time. But like we did family trips to Florida and we went to Lake George and then we went to um, like Virginia beach and we stopped in Atlanta one year, we went to the smoky mountains um, and we went to Florida maybe like a couple times. And I think each vacation was just so much, so memorable. Um, and for a lot of different reasons, like I remember driving to Florida and we played the license plate game in the car of, you know, okay, it starts with an A, find that state. And we would play it for like hours on end because going to Florida was at least a two day trip. We would always have to stay overnight, at least in North or South Carolina. And that was only halfway. And then we would go to Disney World. Um, one year, we just again, stopped at the Smoky Mountains, which if you ever have the chance, it's near like the state border of Tennessee and North Carolina. It is beautiful. Um, and I went there. So my love for travel really started from that. And I actually did not get on a plane until I was in college. <laughs> so I was not one of those kids that, you know, got went to Europe at the age of 12. I was more so a family vacation, let's stay in a holiday inn or that type of traveler and, you know, have the double beds that I used to jump on from one side to the other. Um, and so I really got a lot out of like what a road trip is and that type of vacation. And looking back, I'm really grateful for those memories. Um, because even like a few years ago, me and my fiance drove all the way to Charleston and he was like, Oh my God, this is really far. And to me, it actually wasn't because I have already driven to Florida a bunch of times. So getting to South of the border, um, between North and South Carolina, wasn't anything really for me. It was like, okay. So anyway, um, and my other love for travel began on TV actually. So there's the travel channel, which I love and I watched all the time. And there is a woman on there named Samantha Brown that I was like, how in the world did she get this job where all she does is go to these hotels and has a TV show about it. And all the hotels that she went to were just so amazing. Like she went to like, you know, the Wilderness Lodge in Disney World and, you know, lodges that presidents have stayed in. Like these be beautiful Hawaiian hotels that I just was like glued to my TV because I just, I, it, everyone looks so happy. And this was before I actually worked in the hotel industry and I saw what it was really like. But, you know, every show was just so cheery and positive. And I was like, Oh, like everyone's so happy on vacation. Like what can go wrong? You know? Um, but one of the, so she actually has like a lot of advice for traveling and things that she has actually learned on the road. Um, in no matter what country or destination you're going to, she said, please say hello. And thank you. And someone else's language goes a long, long way. Always embrace plan B if things go wrong, because sometimes plan B is more interesting than your plan A. Always bring a sweater and a snack wherever you go. Americans work too much and we need to learn how to relax and enjoy life. Amen, sister. The most beautiful men in the world are from Spain. Awesome. And to try to think through problems when you're on the road rather than escape them. Never apply self-tanner after two glasses of wine. An unfamiliar landscape or culture can trigger a more open mind that can offer up an aha moment. So I, I actually believe this to be true, that travel really opens up um, and bridges the gap between cultures. That is one of the 
huge benefits that you get. And so one of the episodes that she actually did was about like, she used to have this show called the great hotels. And then I swear to God, every episode was like, it put the hotel in the most glamorous way. So the one episode that she focused on was the Venetian in Las Vegas. And I have actually been to the Venetian, but I've never actually been inside. I just was outside where you could see like the gondola rides and everything. And so she, this is um, her entering one of the rooms. So let's take a listen to what she has to say about the Venetian hotel rooms. Time to start reading some signs. Okay. Oh, I'm straight ahead. The Venetian is an all sweet hotel. Only one like it on the strip. And you'll be fascinated to find out that the suites here have made the Guinness Book of World Records. Here's my room. Come in, and I'll show you why. Oh, what a gorgeous suite. This is so beautiful. Okay, any ideas on why this suite is in the Guinness Book of World Records? Well, the Venetian is recognized as having the largest standard accommodations in any hotel. What cracks me up is that this is considered standard, that for the Venetian, this is just the norm. So she, the, you know, the Venetian, and for any of those of you who have been there, um, like it just has so much in the hotel. So it has its own poker room. The Grand Canal, which is outside, and it can actually um, host up to 500,000 guests per year who ride the gondolas and make you feel like you're in Italy. Um, and then there's also a nightclub there called Tau, um, a casino inside, of course, and then an Electra cocktail club. And then so the Venetian is also actually in the middle of the action on the Las Vegas Strip. It's actually in the middle of really everything. And so... Oh, and then it also has one of the best steakhouses in Vegas um, as well. I did actually did not have the chance to eat there. I went to another um, establishment in Vegas, which was in the Bally's, and it was really good. So also there's pools and cabanas and spas at this hotel. So I think watching this show really started my love for travel, and I just everywhere she went, I was like, Oh my God, I want to go there. And I was like, my mom always said, like, you started your love for travel watching this show. And I just would love when a new episode would be on. I love that it would take me away to a new destination. Um, you know, just for my TV or my living room, it was wonderful. So, you know, our next guest, she actually, we met, um, sharing our love for travel and she actually has traveled quite a bit herself. And, she just is a no holds back type person. So, and she's, she's quite the character. I love her and I'm so excited to have her back on. Um, well, actually on for the first time. So on the other side of this break, we will be having on the amazing and salacious Cassie. So stay tuned. Are you by chance getting married this year, organizing a corporate function that needs all the trimmings? Sophie's Elegant Events is your premier event coordinating and concierge firm. We coordinate and cater events of all sizes, specializing in theme weddings and receptions. Don't wait until the spring to give us a call. We want to make sure that your event goes off without a hitch. Hopefully in 2021 it will. And that means planning ahead now. Call us at 187-555-1290 to make your dreams come true. Welcome back to Real Women, Real Stories. Today, I have a very exciting guest on the show. Um, her name is Cassie. Um, how are you doing today, Cassie? Hi. How's it going? Thank you for being on the pod today. I'm so excited to have you. Um, so just wanted to know, like, how are you doing during COVID right now? Like, how you how you uh, getting along? Oh, okay. Well, Regardless if there's a pandemic going on. 
<laughs> I try to be as productive as possible with the resources that I have. Gotcha. Now I understand earlier this year that you had, you were supposed to start 2020. You were going to Ireland. You were going to live there for five months. And I understand that you had in March had to cut it short. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about that experience and what that was like? Yeah. So, uh, me and a friend went and we traveled and we got an apartment in Ireland. Uh, we had a lease, everything, a six month lease, everything. Our intentions were to stay out there, travel around Europe, um, you know, just live a little European dream. And within seven weeks of me arriving, um, it was a week after my birthday that we were there, St. Patty's Day for Ireland. Um, we got an email because we were both registered with the U.S. Embassy, you know, which you should do. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which you should do if you ever leave the country. You should always register with the U.S. Embassy. Um, because we were registered with the U.S. Embassy as just visiting there for a period of time, even though it was a long period of time, um, we got an email basically saying that if we don't leave the country and go back home, within about seven to 10 days that um, they're going to possibly invalidate our passport. Oh so my went, God. Yeah, America went to a level four travel advisory, which means that if you don't have citizenship in the country, in the foreign country that you're in and you're a U.S. citizen, you need to come home immediately, basically. Now you got to be there on St. Patrick's Day, um, which I know is your birthday. And I actually looked it up. Do you know that you share a birthday with Rob Lowe? Coco, which is Ice T's wife, and Robert Kardashian. So they were all born on St. Patty's Day. But you got to um, experience it um, before you left, right? So how was that? Well, I did get to experience being in Ireland before I left for St. Patty's Day. But so St. Patty's Day was a Tuesday this year, and they closed everything in St. Patty's Day. I mean, in Ireland on the Sunday prior. <laughs> so so they had canceled all of the um all of like the um like outdoor things that they had planned, like parades and things like that. They they had canceled those things like a week prior. So we were already we were like, okay, it'll it'll be a little more slow mo, you know, it'll it'll be okay. And then the Sunday prior they were like, all bars are closing. Everything will be closed. You can't be in the streets. There's a curfew. Everything. The Sunday prior to St. Patty's Day. Wow. So my, also my sister had surprised me and came and visited and surprised me for my birthday. And like a day after she got here, everything got closed. Oh, my God. <laughs> so luckily, she doesn't care as long as she's somewhere. She's perfectly happy she so how did do you had to quickly buy a plane ticket home like how did that yeah. work out yeah so we even tried to, we tried to get them to exchange the tickets we already had um they wouldn't waive any fees for us they wouldn't basically wouldn't do anything for us and to exchange was more expensive so we had to just buy it and it i called the airline and we were like oh do you guys have anything for um, so this was a Thursday that we got the email. We were like, do you guys have anything for like early next week? Or, you know, because we wanted to get our affairs in our order. We wanted to try to ship some of our stuff home. Um, and they were like, well, the next one I have is tomorrow. And I don't have anything after Sunday. So wow. we advise that you just take the first flight you get. So me and her, me and my friend, we booked the flight leaving Friday morning. And well, it left, I'm sorry, it left around Friday afternoon. But we also had a three-hour train ride from Killarney, the town we lived in, um, to go to the airport in Dublin. So we had a very early, so it was basically like, all right, like we have to leave tomorrow morning. And wow. we had a fridge full of food. We had so many things. I mean, like there was clothes and shoes and things I had to leave there. There was decoration stuff. We both bought brand new mattresses when we got Oh there. my God. Um, and the worst part was probably like we reached out to our landlord and we we're like, listen, we're being forced home. There's nothing we can do. You know, is there anything that you could do with our security deposit? And he was like, I don't have any money for you. He basically was just like, I can't afford to give you anything. We've also lost our jobs. Like we have nothing. So wow. I'm so sorry. Well, yeah. I'm really glad to hear that you got home in time because I know a lot of other people had, some people got straight up stuck in other countries. Like I, I heard a news story of someone getting stuck like in the Samoa islands for like six months or something. So I'm just glad that you were able to get out and, you know, you'll always be able to have that experience again if you want. And I'm glad at least that you were there on St. Patty's day. Um, yeah. And 
So I wanted to kind of talk about um, one thing that bridges us together, which is our love for travel. And just my observation from you being there, um, one thing I noticed about you straight away is that you have an incredibly well-rounded work ethic. And I understand that you started working very early um, than most people would. So can you go into your experience a little more of working and like what lessons did that teach you, which became valuable over time as you moved more into your career? Yeah, I mean, I, I basically started working at the age of 13. Um, but just basically because we had to, it was for survival. Um, you know, we were very, we were very um, poor. Um, when I was younger, um, my mom tried to work, but she had epilepsy very early in her life and it affected her when she tried to work. It was too much stress for her brain and for her body. So she was unable to work. So, um, you know, I have a twin sister and an older sister and we were at the point where we're like, well, we're able-bodied. We can do this. Like we can find work, we can find a job. And it, and I've always carried that with me through life that I know that I can work any job. If you can pay me and you can teach it, I'm going to learn it and I'm going to try to make money with it. Yeah. So, so what I was started, the first job that you had when you were 13? Um, when I was 13, I started working in a local bar. That was a few blocks. Oh, okay. Um, just in the kitchen. I didn't do anything around the alcohol or anything like that, but I worked in the kitchen. Um, I made sandwiches and halakis. <laughs> and I made, I did that. I made sandwiches these I you know I brought beer up I did dishes I did things like that and I did that I actually worked there for almost 10 years um because one it's I started there when I was young but then when I got old enough to get working papers at the age of 14 I also got another job so and then I started working in the mall me and my twin sister we started working in the local mall so I always I mean literally from the age of 13 I always kept two different jobs like I always did wow um, I even dropped out of high school when I was 16 I dropped out of high school and I got my GED and I started, I actually started community college when I would have been a senior in high school because it was just too much for me to try to go to school and to work two jobs. I like we needed the money more than I had time to go to school. I think that's what a lot of people fail to understand about money is like a lot of people need it for survival and like no one understands not having money more than people who've lived that life. And trust me, I've, I've been there as well. I mean, I didn't have that exact same experience of needing to work when I was 13, but you know, my family wasn't exactly like well off and, you know, my parents always fought about money. And, um, when I was younger, well, I got into some debt a little later on, but like, I can relate to what you're saying because I had my own apartment and then I lost my job and then I had to go work at Red Lobster. And so I had two jobs at once. And I remember like taking the bus to work, you know, that like lame 125 to the King of Prussia mall. Yes. Oh, 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 I am so familiar with those. I used to, when I first moved to the city, I worked in King of Prussia um, for like probably at least six months, almost a year. I worked in the King of Prussia Mall. And to get there from the city, it's two buses and a train. <laughs> I mean, and there's no way around that bus. at all. There's no, no way around that. There's not. There's no other way. If there, there should be a direct train line to, from like starting from Philadelphia going all the way to Reading through the suburbs, is my opinion. Because even when I lived in Pottstown, um, when I was still living in the suburbs, I also needed to get a job in Fresh at one point because it just paid more money than any job paid in the Pottstown area. And I already had one job in Pottstown, but I needed another one because I had to survive. And it even got to a point, like both my sisters luckily were able to go away to school. So they were able to um, be able to move out. But then it was me and my mom. And we were basically roommates for a long period of time because she was in school. My mom got back in school very early on um, when we were younger and she loved it and she thrived and she it's what she wanted to do. So we all made sure that we all kept working so she could go back to school and she could do what she wanted. So there was a point where it was just me and my mom like as roommates basically. Wow. And she was in school and I was working two jobs and it works like we paid rent where we i was able to pay our rent i was able to pay our bills i was able to make sure that she was good and she was taken care of and but like the amount of money that you could make in Town, it just wasn't enough so i had right to and king of prussia really provides like so many opportunities because there's so much there um, yeah. And one of the stores I think uh, you were telling me you worked at was Steve Madden. And I happen to really love that brand of myself. Like I love their shoes. I love, I, I, 
a saw a documentary about Steve Madden himself. And what was your oh, experience? Yeah, I saw that. I've been meaning to watch that actually. Yeah, like what was your experience working at Steve Madden? And like I like how was working retail in a mall setting? Like what is that like? Well, the Steve Madden I worked at was actually the one in Center City, Philadelphia. So it was actually the street store in Center City. Um, and the one the stores that I worked at in the mall, well, this could go on and on. <laughs> uh, the main ones I worked at were Skechers, Delius. I love that store. Yeah. Oh, Delius was, I mean, if you were any girl near our age, like you shopped at Delius. And, that was, yeah. And working there. Yeah, and working there, it was kind of the same environment. It was a lot of girls who, you know, all were dressed like that and were all working together really well. And, I mean, holding a thousand t-shirts a day, basically, is what my life was. But working for Steve Madden, it was actually great um, because I actually had a really great staff. And even though I was an assistant manager, I mean, we worked together, so, you know, I'm not... I mean, I've never been your boss or anything, but I like to work well with people. I don't. You definitely do. Yeah, I'm not a fan of superiority complexes and people because they're in a higher. I mean, we're both familiar with this. Absolutely. (laughs) Because they're in a management type of position or a position of power, they take advantage of it fully. And I'm not like that. I like everyone to just work really well together. And the way people work well together is having good relationships, like being like being productive and like if somebody comes in and they're really tired and they're hungover like give them some charcoal tablets let them get a coffee and let them get themselves together like you need people to be productive you need people to work together and I just had such a great team everyone worked together really well everyone had the same goal they all wanted to make money I would like we also I remember you saying that you used to dress the mannequins at certain maybe that wasn't at um Steve Madden but I remember you telling me that like a way to sell whatever you're trying to sell in a retail environment is is really that mannequin because the person walks in and they're like oh wow what's that on the rack you know even just walking past that window like that that's there everyone that's what people do when they go to the mall they window shop they look like window shopping is literally like a verb (laughs) or absolutely whatever it's literally like an actual action so like that's what people do they window shop so that window is the first thing they're going to see and that's what brings them into the store so like changing those windows for me was like such a big deal it was like people be like oh our sales are down you know why our sales probably down so we got to put like this and like and you would get everyone in the store to vote on what they think is like the nicest thing that's in the store or the cutest outfit or whatever the case is and put that in the window sometimes there would be a girl would come in with like a full deal like to work like an like an associate would come in in a full dealies outfit and i'd be like oh my gosh it's so cute like we need to put that on the mannequin (laughs) yeah if that's my first reaction when i see her and then that's what somebody's gonna think when they walk by the store you know what i mean and that's that's what you want like that's that's how you do it but like it's such a learned behavior that you have to take with you. Like all these jobs that I have, if I like, there's so many people who look at work as, you know, and there's so much negative to it. Like a means to an end or like, why am I here? Or, you know, exactly. Oh, exactly. And like, Oh, I hate this so much. I got to do something else. And like, they don't realize that they carry that in them with that attitude with them every moment that they're working and every moment that they're doing it. And they don't realize that you're missing out on a learning opportunity even if it's not enjoyable learn something from it you'll stay in a in a shitty relationship with a terrible ass man cheating <laughs> on you and uh, and be like well i'm learning a lesson or i'm doing this but you won't take that from a shitty job that's actually paying you money i mean i i job. can say that like when i was a waitress at red lobster that was like a uh, it was, I would like, I worked at the one in King of Prussia and like, I would um, walk, it would be like four o'clock on a Saturday and like the, every, there would be a line out the door and there, would, I remember I didn't write anything down and it, you hustled your ass off. You got those salads out. You got, I mean, the tables just kept coming every, like, it was like insane. And then from four to 10 o'clock, it was like nonstop. And, you know, I made like a hundred dollars every Saturday in cold, hard cash, which at the time I really needed because I couldn't right. pay my rent without that. Exactly. Exactly. 
And uh, it wasn't when I first moved to my first place in the city, I uh, lived in an efficiency. It was like this tiny little apartment, actually in the building I still live in. <laughs> um, but I still couldn't even pay that rent, like with the job that I had. I was struggling. So it was like, you have to get another job. And I started Airbnb my apartment. Like this was seven years ago when Airbnb first came out. And I started Airbnb my own apartment that I live in. And like couch surfing for periods of time just so I could pay that rent, just so I could live alone. Like I just wanted that, like me having my own place and having my own stuff, being able to pay my own bills was more important to me than like, than how miserable a job could possibly be. Like you have to take every experience as a learning experience. Like, yes, like I hated retail so much. Like I had to get foot surgery because of my years in retail. Wow. What have I learned? I mean, I literally got a job the job I currently have in insurance sales as a customer service agent, just based off of my experience in retail and working in travel because I can talk to people because I have that. And that's the one thing you probably are very keen on, like what anticipating people's needs and, you know, especially around like Christmas time working at Steve Madden or wherever, you know, Skechers or that is one thing that I was always terrified to do. I never wanted to work retail during the holiday season. That. I felt so bad for those people because it is terrible. Yeah. It's pretty intimidating too. It's like, because I mean, the amount of people is insane. It's, it's so like, especially when I worked in a high volume store, like the dealers I worked in was a $2.5 million store. Wow. It was, I mean, it was, and it was in one of the biggest malls in the world. Like King of Precious is literally one of the biggest malls in the world. It is. And it was so intimidating on a constant basis. And it's like, like, I mean, especially during the holidays when people are, I mean, they're trying, they're coming in to buy in bulk. They're coming in to buy and they're like, well, would this be cute for this? Like you're buying, now you're also a gift person. Like now you have to figure out what's good for gifts. <laughs> and like, like the customer base, like those main line people coming into King of Prussia. Like yeah. I've heard stories, like when I was working um, at AAA, um, I, this customer came in and said, like, I work at Nordstrom and like, you would be surprised the customers they it closes at 9 30 but they're in there they don't care they're you know it's like the attitude and they're in there fucking shit up too like they don't care they're ripping out jeans they're ripping out t-shirts like that those were the times when you were there till two o'clock in the morning or something like that like you had to make sure that the store was ready to go by 8 a.m the next morning you had to make sure everything was folded you had to make sure everything was clean so you're there till 2 a.m and mind you i was taking i had a two-hour commute (laughs) so wow 2 a.m and now you're now you're talking about a night owl bus for the subway (laughs) and the l and stuff like that like it changes the game but it's like what do you do when you need money like you have like you have to survive like you can't you like you can't just like give up but like and so to- many people take that that bus to king of prussia just to work oh. there and they're coming from north philly they're coming yeah. from everywhere and it's everywhere. crazy and it's and it, especially like if that bus is late I mean, you have crowds and crowds of people waiting for it. It's literally the only way for a lot of Philadelphians to even make money. It's the only method, like, to even get close to making that kind of money. Like, luckily, they just opened back up the the gallery. So I think that'll be a lot more opportunity for people in Philadelphia. Oh, good. Um, Yeah, because they did did open that up. I mean, even though the King of Prussia Mall still... It's still booming. um, But I think that'll help a lot with that. Because I remember being, like... For me to get to work by 8 a.m. at the King of Prussia Mall, I would have to be up by 5. Like, wow. to get myself together, to start the journey, and to get to work on time. And then if that bus sits in traffic, like, there's nothing you do. <laughs> You're late. <laughs> oh, my God. There's be There would That's be so it. many times that I would be, like, riding the front because I would be, like, getting picked up later. And, like, just the – it's, like, everyone's breathing on each other. Just, yeah. you know, in, in our modern time, something that none of us want right now. No. Um, no. But absolutely. So yeah, on the other side, um, on the other side of this break, we're going to talk about more about travel. So we both worked, have experience working in the travel industry. So um, we will be right back, everyone. Are there times when you feel like you live in a dull gray box? Well, break out of the crypt with a fresh coat of paint and interior decorating services from Shelly Interiors. Within hours, your home will be transformed to reflect your taste. Don't know what your taste is? No problem. 
Shelly's Interiors has a wide array of styles in their portfolio to choose from, including Modern Chic, Urban Elegance, and Rural Escape. To get a preview, log on to ShellyInteriors.com. From there, pick out a styles you like and best pick up your phone. Reach Shelly's Interiors at 856-257-3546 or send us an email from the website, Shelly's Interiors Turning Houses into Homes Since 1990. Okay, and we are back with Cassie. So one of the things that really brought us together was, of course, our love for the travel industry. And in the beginning of this episode, I kind of went over how I, it would, my envision of it was, which is happy people booking vacations. And that's what I saw on TV. Like if you ever saw like Samantha Brown, great hotels on the travel channel. So that is what initially pulled me in to the travel industry, but I'm curious as to what pulled you in and what your impression was of the reality versus your expectation. Uh, yeah, I actually have a very similar um, feeling about it. So, well, the reason I got into travel was to get out of retail, to be honest. I mean, if you can sell retail, if you can work in retail for a long period of time, if you can sell clothes or shoes, you can sell travel. <laughs> so I actually was able to get into it to just to get out of travel. But once I was in it, I had kind of the same feeling where I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Like, I get to talk to people who are excited about traveling, who want to see the world. Like, I'm going to be, and I can just, I've learned all this information of how to help them organize this. And I can, I just get to help them. Like, this is going to be great. Like, that was my whole attitude about it. it was like, people are going to come in and they want to see the world and I get to help them like do that like, like go on their awesome. trip yeah and that yeah. It, it's yeah. like rewarding in that regard yes yeah yeah and that was like that was like because like the way that we feel about it you know the way that we love to travel like you know to be able to share that with someone else and to sell it and to be that um but like the first place I worked at was Liberty Travel <laughs> right so, so you had a similar travel. background to me where we had like customers coming in and it was like face to face yeah and it was the problem was, though, that with Liberty, Liberty as a, I guess I actually, I shouldn't probably, I worked in a, in a, in a travel company that was very based on pushing sales. It was very based on pushing Similar sales. to me. Yeah. It's very yeah. much a sales job. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. AAA is the same way. Yeah. It's very sales. It's very, you, like, it got to the point where I was almost getting in trouble because like I would sell someone Disney, but I would sell them a package that suited what was actually best for their family. And it was becoming an issue because they wanted me to, I mean, bulk it, bulk it, bulk it and add things that they didn't need and add these things just to make more money. Right. And when it got to that point, for me, it wasn't fun anymore. For me, it wasn't enjoyable anymore. I felt like I was scamming people and I didn't like it. And then you have a lot of, where you're almost chasing people to pay off their vacations as well. Yeah, that, that part, part that part sucked. That definitely it's worse because it's like you came to me for this trip. You wanted to go. Like, why do I have to chase you to pay for it? Like, it got to a point where the sale, the the pushing of the sales and the chasing people to pay, it kind of like lost it for me. Like, lost why I was there. Like, I wasn't really talking about travel anymore. I was just like, you're talking about your numbers and how much you sold yeah. and, and that's all that mattered. You know, all that mattered was the numbers and like adding on and how many rooms and all these kinds of things. But I was just like, but I want to like talk to people about, <laughs> I mean, in my experience, like before we met, like I had a similar like sale, sale, sales. And I, um, it, like my manager at the time, she like <laughs> actually showed me a paper where I could make four grand a month if I just kept up, you know, selling travel and that I'd be roll quote rolling in it. And like, I was smart enough to realize that what she was selling me was complete, you know, BS. And I was like, I figured it out, like their commission structure. And I was like, I'm out. And then when I quit, she, she basically admitted that what I was saying was true. And I'm like, I do appreciate that because I knew what I, like, I knew I wasn't crazy, but I did appreciate the, um, 
the customers, like I had a few, a few really, 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 really good ones. Like I sent them to Bora Bora, Hawaii, like that part for me was really fun just to see what people would choose for their vacation, honestly. Yeah, I will agree with that. I definitely, I did take away some really, really great clients. I had one client who, he was an older gentleman who just loved his wife to no end. I mean, just was obsessed with her. And Every year, he planned a trip on September 11th Aww. for her, which was her birthday. And he always made sure he planned a full trip. I'm talking like tour to Europe and things like this. Like he always planned a trip on her birthday so she wouldn't be sad that she shared a birthday with like such a horrific. Situation. Wow, that is beautiful. Yeah. Like, that that's really... how much he loved her. And he came. I mean, he came in three months in advance, like clockwork, every year to make to get this trip started. He had every. I mean, he would have a map. He would have the hotel he wanted. He'd have all I'd have to do is literally just book it and take his money. He had it all planned out, and he just—I mean, all he did was just like dote over his wife and how. And then don't you're so invested and you want to hear about the trip so much, and you're like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, like. And her name, her name was um, Jane Large, and I remember because one of the first situations we had was um, when we booked her flight. Her names got inverted. (laughs) Oh wow. It's a large Jane. And oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And it was like one of the first situations that I had to like change a play and like try to fix it and stuff like that. And it was like, just, it was so fun. He was so sweet about it. And he was like, I can't have my wife being large Jane. That's not very nice. <laughs> and it was so sweet. And I was like, that's why I like travel is people like that. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so we had like I'm similar background. That. That's, that's really rare. I, I think in, in these days. Um, but I mean, travel right now is pretty much dead, but, um, so then I met you at a mutual company, um, and you know, you have a blunt personality, which I think I understood right away because I'm from the city and like, I've dealt with people like that my whole life. And it doesn't mean that the person's nasty and they're rude. It just means that's how you are. And like, I, I knew that it was never like directed at me or anything. And that was just your personality. And like, it might've been like too much for people to handle, but guess what? I, my observation, you were a stellar agent and, um, I admire your ability to try to stand up for what was right and like tell the truth about what was happening when others like were willing to go along with it. Um, being too honest, no matter what situation you're in, you know, if you're in a journalism or, you know, you're supposed to be biased, whatever, it can be the downfall of some people, but, um, you know, what, do, what are your thoughts on this as, you know, and, and like I said, other people were rewarded for being unethical and rewarded actually for, for it as time went on. And like being a woman, I feel like that had something to do with it. I don't know. Can you express your thoughts on the matter? I, I agree. Um, my personality is very strong and it's always was strong, but it, it, it was why I was successful for a, like, I was actually very successful in the beginning period of time when I started working there because the people, the, the, the organizations I was working with, they appreciated that. So I think when you have a male boss who is the same way, he, it kind of became like an ego thing. Like he wanted to be the only strong personality. He wanted to be the only person who could, could say what was negative and say what was positive. And that was it. If you, but me being also a female, it was, I mean, it was, it was so much worse. It got to the point where I, I was being told that I was intimidating the people around me and that I couldn't, no matter what. But they I would couldn't. never say that to a man. Do you see that? Exactly. It would never be said to a man. They told me that I was intimidating, not only, not only clients, but I was intimidating coworkers around me. Which um, wasn't true. I was your coworker. You and Because me and you sat next to each That other did not, you never intimidated me ever, Cassie. <laughs> yeah. But you, it's because you understood me. You didn't take me as intimidating or she's too much or negative, even in any way. No. You just knew that you could just tell that it's survival mentality has built me this way, basically. And there's, <laughs> and it's like, it's like ingrained in you and that's just who you are. And like I said, from my point of view, like you were doing the work the right way. It's just that it doesn't matter what profession you're in. If a woman has an opinion to yeah. a room of males, that is a problem. Exactly. And I was doing the work and that was, and it literally, before I left, that was the whole situation is that I was constantly being reprimanded because I wouldn't allow the clients to disrespect us. And they did. There were clients. And that's the truth. And you told the truth. Yeah. They were disrespecting. They were disrespectful. They were rude. And they felt as though, because we were their travel company, 
they, we were, I mean, I mean, we just doted on them and it was whatever they said and however they could be. And it like, it was, it didn't matter how unethical people were, they could do whatever they wanted because we were their travel company. But the problem that I had is that last time I checked, this was a business relationship. It wasn't that we worked, we didn't work for them. We worked with them. With, and yes, they're, they're your partner. They're not your yeah, boss. We were a partner. We were their travel company, but for some reason, all these men in power and all these men that were the head of these organizations. Yeah, true. All the CEOs. That's right. Yeah, that's who it all was. It was the CEOs. It was the head of these companies that always had a problem when you told them no. Most of the time that I had issues with things that I said or things that were written a certain way were because I was telling that person no. <laughs> I was telling them that what they wanted, they couldn't have. And I was telling them exactly why, and I would explain it to them in a very professional manner, but it was almost immediately when I would write it, it was, it was off to our boss and he had a problem with it because you couldn't, you can't say this, 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 or this to this person. And it never made sense to me. And I didn't understand why that was an issue. But if like, it's like, if it's like a male counterpart oh. who like, is like, you know, just getting as much bonus as possible and, you know, who cares if you rip them off, keep going. Like yeah. I, it's like a, it's like a male testosterone thing in my opinion. Like, and like, I kind of played along a little bit. Like I had one customer who like, I knew that I could mar like do it to. And like, it was, it, but I didn't feel right about it, but it was like, yeah, you're making money off of it. But like, that's not how I want to do business yeah. in the world. Like that's one of the reasons I'm in school. I want to make a difference, not make you richer. So that's just yeah. my perspective. And like, I think anytime a woman speaks up, it's like I said, if a woman's the CEO, if she's the principal of the school, if she's, it doesn't matter if you have an opinion, if you're trying to steer the boat in the other direction, that is a problem. If you don't go, it's like the Trump White House. If you don't go along with the protocol, you're out. And that's you're what out. I feel like happened you're to out. you. And that's, that's not right. Yeah. And it's true. And it got, it got to the point where I had to go because I couldn't, like it, I wasn't being reprimanded for my work. My work was fine. I made no mistakes. I didn't cost the company money. There wasn't things being booked incorrectly. None of those mistakes were being made. It was basically an attack on my personality and attack on my customer service skill. Which and I we all know that you have like the stellar I, customer I have service. More years than the boss had in customer service. Right. <laughs> And it, but it wasn't, it wasn't about me. It was about me not wanting to conform to the way that they wanted it and the way that they wanted me to bow down to any male CEO basically and give them whatever they want and kiss their ass. And I was, I, I refuse to do that. If that person can't get a business class seat for this particular flight, I'm going to tell them no. That's it. Right. <laughs> That's and it. you're and kind of reminding true. me of like RBG on the Supreme Court when they said, why didn't she just give up her seat? And someone said she didn't get to the Supreme Court by having people tell her what to do. And that kind of reminds me of you. It's just like, yeah. you know, there's there's a point of like going along and then there's a point of like, but I'm going to do me. And so, you know, I'm really I'm really proud of you. And I, I know that you're going to do great things in your career. And on a very positive note, though, you did win two business class tickets on Qatar Airlines, I believe you were going to Greece, but yeah. then you stopped in Doha. What was that experience like on Qatar Airlines? And I understand when you were in Doha, you also received a backlash from a guy who was very upset that a husband was not with you. So what was that whole experience like? Yeah, so um, the best part, you know, winning two flights, and I won flights based on my sales. <laughs> I won flights because I sold so many like Qatar flights that month. So I win these flights and it's like the best. And uh, me and a couple friends already had a trip to Greece planned. So it was perfect. It was like, they'll, they go to Greece, they stop in Doha. We were like, oh, let's stop in Doha on our way just to you know see what the Middle East is like. Well, I traveled with my, my best friend, Kendra, a female. And it was probably, probably the, not, I wouldn't say the biggest waste of time because I did, we did learn a lot, but I probably shouldn't have ever done it. We should have just stayed in the airport and and then just went on to Greece. So from the moment we stepped off the plane and went through customs, we already were getting a lot of stares. We were getting a lot of people staring at us and very blatantly staring at us, um, staring at us because we were two females traveling together. We obviously didn't realize. We thought it was just because, you know, 
I mean, look at me. I look like a giraffe in an airport, like Middle East. <laughs> I have red hair. I'm I pale, mean, yeah, like... you don't exactly, you're not, you, you're not from the area. That's for sure. Not, not even close. So at first it was that, but then it got to a point where we got up to, even when we got up to like put our bags through, the guards were, I, I think I pulled my phone out to look at something on my phone. I don't know, see what time it was or something. And the guards screamed at me and they were like, put your phone away. You need to put your phone away. Oh my God. And I kind of like looked at them and put my phone away. And they were like, did you hear me, woman? Like they needed <gasps> me to say yes, sir, back to them. Like he wouldn't stop. He can't, He put his hand on his baton and started r- rushing towards me because I <laughs> didn't acknowledge him saying something to me. And my friend Kendra was literally like, just say yes, sir. Just say something. Like, because she just was like so scared because he, I mean, he came rushing and he was a large guard. He was huge. He had a big baton and, and a gun. And so, and this is only a 24 hour period, right? Oh no. We had just gotten off the plane. (laughs) No, we we only stayed there for, we only stayed in Doha for like a 10 hour. Gotcha. Wow. Because we wanted to go, what we wanted to do is we wanted to go to a hotel, kind of rest up in between our flight because we just had a 16 hour flight and rest up a little, but then maybe like look around and see what was around there. You know, maybe shop in some shops or something like that. So already off the bat, we are like, oh no, like, damn, like this is how we're going to be treated. So we're like, all right, let's just get out of here. So we get our bags, we get a taxi to our hotel. We get to the hotel and the hotel is, we're like, oh, we're here to check in. He's like, you can't check in here. And we're like, oh no, we have a reservation. Oh my God. Here it is. And they're like, no, no, where are the men? Do you have (gasps) men with you? Do you have men with you? Do you have men traveling with you? And it was almost like obscene that we would think that we could get a room as two women without men with us. They were like, no, 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 no. Wow. And I was like, well, we were like, but we paid for it. And they were like, we can't help you. Do you have men? Do you have men traveling with you? we were like no <laughs> we, it's just us because like, it's like, so customary to be like especially like in probably where you were like that everyone just has a husband you know what i mean yeah everyone has i mean even when you were even when we were riding in the cab you didn't see women outside at all you know and we we expected the culture to be you know pretty severe but we didn't think it would be at the level where they wouldn't allow us to even like check into the room we paid for because we did have men like we sat in the lobby for probably like two three hours until finally I was able to get on the phone with the company we booked the hotel with and was like, listen, like we paid for this. Like they won't let us check in because we're women. Oh my and, God, dude. Yeah, basically. And so they, finally we got, um, we were able to speak to like the manager as well as this. So the guy called them, spoke to the manager. The manager was like, okay, we'll let you go and check into this room, but it has to be done in secret. And we're, you know, you can't be seen. So you have to walk this way. They, t- they led us a certain way that we had to walk so the cameras wouldn't see us. And they told us that if anyone comes and knocks on the door, we have to be ready to leave immediately because, like, they got in trouble for allowing two women to be and to room together. Wow. And the fact that we were rooming together was a problem. I was like, there's two beds. Like, they were right. Like that is that is on another level. Um, yeah, it was next level. Like, we thought that we would have a bit of a hard time the way that they view women and the way that you know their culture is but we didn't realize that it was going to be like we wouldn't have ever taken a long layover had we known it would be that extreme that they would treat us that way like it was at the point like we literally went up and took a nap we didn't even want to stay there we didn't we were just like this is awful like i bet you were like i'm so glad i don't live here and i'm so glad this isn't the norm in my life it's just such it's it's i mean I know I, I'm assuming when you're brought up in it, it probably feels different than when you're brought up like we are, where we do have, you know, some sort of rights and even we have privilege, but it's, I mean, it is, it, it has to be, it has to be awful. It has to be suffocating to be that Nobody people. wants to be subservient to the man. Yeah. And, that- and, and, and the only reason that you were treated this way and the only reason you were expected to be this way is because of your gender, is because of how you were born. That's it the only reason you're allowed to be disrespected like that and be treated that way see as women we have to fight back and um now just to pivot a little bit i understand that you are in school right now so i'm so proud of you cassie um education you know they there's always like that campaign of like wanting women to finish high school and college and just get women getting their education women are starting to now you know be at the level that men have but you know 
it's everyone, you know, in America, like, I feel like it's like money is king. And if you don't have the money to go to college when you're 18, it's like, they, they think that the door is completely shut on you and that you're stupid and like all this stuff. And and the great thing about America though, is that there's always that comeback story. And, um, I think, and I'm somebody who got education, um, like the school I'm in now, like I went to undergrad when I was 18 and then I waited like eight or nine years to go back to school for my grad school. And it's strictly had to do with money. It wasn't because I wasn't motivated. It wasn't because I didn't care. It was because I couldn't afford it. So I'm, I'm just so proud of you for getting our education and, and doing something you're passionate about. And, you know, a educated woman gets the world shook. It really does. It definitely, definitely does. And, and I'm the same way. I put it off for so long. I just tried to see how far I could get in the career that I was in because I, that's the same, same. Yeah. I just tried to get as far as I could in whatever I was doing and just tried to keep making more money. Like being in student loan debt or anything even close to that is like terrifying to me. It gives me literal physical anxiety because being in debt period is something that I felt my entire life. Right. And being in debt or owing money or being poor, all of that correlates together. It's all a PTSD. It's all, no matter where I'm at right now in life, if, and no matter how much I may have in the bank or whatever it is, I always feel that way. I mean, I you never, you literally broke. never forget never being broke. You never. will, My as long as I live, well I will never. And she still treats every, everyday life as if she's broke. She, she can't help it. It's just naturally just how we, how you become accustomed. Now, how is your, so you're going to school for criminal justice and how is that going so far? How far so, along are you? Yeah. So I didn't go to school for 15 years. I haven't been in school since 2005. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, it's been a very long time, but COVID kind of pushed me to realize that I need better for myself and I need a better career and we need more women in the criminal justice field. I mean, 10 times over we need more we need more females we need more people period fighting for people and um i've always been very very interested in criminal justice and being a lawyer and anything that had to do with the law that Um, kamala harris prosecutor life right (laughs) yeah exactly and i i feel very confident that you know my strong personality as we've discussed would be great for something like that because i'm not scared and i'm not intimidated by people and i will speak exactly what is right and what is real and i feel like law is the, is the place for that i feel like any aspect of law can be in but i also you know i have personal experience with it my father did 10 years in prison and it's so you can see how the law really can damage a whole family you know damages an entire family and it still is it's it still affects you years later even if after they've been released my father's been out for 15 years and it doesn't feel different, you know? It still right. feels exactly the same. It's still the same trauma. It still has affected all of our entire family. But, you know, it all has to do with, you know, if you really think about the breakdown of it, the legal counsel of it, it has to do with the trial of it, it has to do with evidence. All these little things that you don't realize that if you don't have them correct, and if you don't have the right person who cares about that kind of thing, you can lose your life for 10 years. Like my father literally did 10 years in prison just based off of evidence there's so many people too like marijuana conviction you know and then these all these people doing white collar crime they're like getting out within six months it's like sick what's your um ideal position though in the criminal justice field what do you think you want to do you want to be a lawyer i would love to be a lawyer um i am i'm obviously really really intimidated by the amount of school and the amount of work it takes it is a lot it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, I would love to work for some type of organization because, you know, I, we have the organization experience and I still really appreciate the organization experience and organizations as a whole. Um, you know, the ones that are, you know, truthful and honest and and have a purpose and want to do good in the world. Yeah. I would love to like work for the innocence project or something similar. Um, I mean, I know I've known a lot of people throughout my life that were wrongfully convicted and the stories still continue to this day of how many people, I mean, you said it alone, people who are in, in jail for marijuana and, you know, or are in jail based just uh, like where physical evidence, something like DNA could get them off. Like those. Yeah. You hear about people wrongfully convicted. It wasn't me. It never happened. And then like the other, you know, so that's, that's very interesting. And I, 
Kamala Harris actually said that one of the reasons that brought her into the field is because she had a friend growing up who was actually molested by her father. And she's like, I want to represent people like that and make sure that they, um, you know, get justice. And, you know, her story is, is amazing. And I, I couldn't be prouder that she's actually going to be our VP. Um, yeah. But now... <laughs> yes. Now, um, another part about you that's very core to your identity is your red hair. And as I was looking it up today, um, some words immediately came to mind um, on the internet. So fiery, vibrant, untamable, and wild is what came up for being a redhead. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so what is your experience? We only have a few minutes left, but just quickly, what is your experience being a redhead? And what does it mean to you overall to be a woman? in our society well i mean being a redhead to me it was funny because as a child because i was so different and in the community i was in i was even more different i resented it but as i got older um and I, I met more older redheaded women as well and i realized that all oh, the power that was in it and the power in being rare is is so vast and you should really really like just take it in like less than two percent of our earth's population has red hair wow that's something in itself you know what i mean so that i mean the 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 rarity that i have and it it holds power i mean literally redheads have their own all of those things that you described they they, every redhead i know is like that and it doesn't matter where they came from it doesn't matter what their zodiac sign is they all are you know fiery they're all strong they're all they all untamable that's the word that comes out to me (laughs) untamable is definitely you know ask my boyfriend about that (laughs) but i mean and then being able to be a woman you know i've i obviously having an alternate hair color and you know i've got a lot of a lot of men you know react to it yeah what is what do you get like what well even when i was really young i I was really experienced with men and the way they react to it. Um, even like, I mean, when I was talking when I was very, very young, you know, men still reacted to it as if I was a grown woman, but just because it was an odd color and it's a fetish thing, apparently a redhead fetish is a real thing. What's her <laughs> and- name? Jessica Chastain. I think she's a redhead. Yes. I had a friend growing up. You know what? It's funny because you're. I had a friend named Svetlana growing up who is Russian and redhead, and you're redhead, and you guys honestly remind me of each other so much. Just because she was like, she was like open and and like willing to say how it is, and like you know, fiery and and like it's just being a redhead has got to be just the best. Yeah, when you're born different you have to embrace it and you have to like, there's a reason that you're born to stand out. It's because you're supposed to stand out. Like, you know, you're supposed to be like, the reason I grab attention is because I want you're supposed to listen to me, you know? And that's how I feel. Like I have an aunt red actually who has fiery red hair her whole life. And she's also very outspoken and crazy. And she's always said that to me. She was like, you know, there's a reason that you stand out and people notice you is because they're supposed to listen to you. Like you grab people's attention with your look for a reason. It's it's like when animals have these bright, beautiful Like the feathers. peacock feathers and yeah, whatever. Have, and they bring open these bright, beautiful flat feathers. You just stare at them and you know they're beautiful. Like it's because you're supposed to pay attention to that. You know what I mean? And what does being a woman mean to you overall in our society? It kind of feels like women's voices are being minimized and um, like, does it mean being a role model and inspiration to young girls quickly? Just tell me like, what does it, if you could say like one sentence, like what it, I know you could probably write a book on it, but like, what does it mean to be a woman in today's society with like things about trying to get restricted and just quickly, you know, tell us that. I, to me, being a woman in a society is like the epitome of strength. The, The things that women are going through and suffering from and pushing through. I mean, I feel like this pandemic alone has really showed how strong women are and how great we are for the society and how much we bring to society, how much we bring to this world. You know, men have fallen apart through this pandemic. They they can't help they can't sure. handle it. They're out in the streets protesting. You know, there's women who are following them, but for the most part, we women are holding it down. Like we're holding it down with the children. We're holding it down with the school. Yeah, like like um, educating your kids if you have them. They're now educating their children. I mean, being a woman is literally holding everything together. Like if we didn't have women in this society, we would, it would, I mean, this pandemic would have ravaged everything. 
like we are strength we are and we are the voices like if you don't if you stop talking then other little girls are going to stop listening like i have to keep talking even though there's always going to be men who don't like it and there's always going to be men right. who don't appreciate it and want to stifle my voice there will always be someone a young woman who's listening or a young girl who's listening to what i'm saying regardless if you know about it or not and that's who you need to be speaking for and that's who you need to be outspoken for it's okay if people don't like the way i am or how i speak but if it gives someone else a voice and it makes someone else feel good about their own voice, I'm here for it. I'm all about the AOC life. Right. <laughs> She's the best. Well, thank you so much, Cassie, for taking the time to speak with me today. And just quickly, um, well, I don't know if we have a time, but everyone go follow Cassie at Redhead Cass on Instagram. Um, and yeah, thank you for being on the show. We will have you on again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much to Cassie for being on the show today. If you love the Real Women Real Stories podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, have a good week, everyone. I'll talk to you soon.